Welcome to Australian Basketball Coach. I'm your host, Anthony Corcoran. Welcome to Australian Basketball Coach. I'm, I'm pretty uh, thrilled today to have a couple of uh, guests from Townsville with me. So Shane and Jenny Frolings. So welcome, guys. Thank you for having us. Thank yeah, you. great to have the, the Frolings on the show. I thought I'd do this one with both of you together because you, you two sort of individually and together, you know, made such a great contribution to, to what's going on in basketball in the past, but also um, with with your kids as well. And, and so we'll get into that uh, a little bit later. But what I thought I'd, I'd do first up is maybe uh, start with Jenny. I've known Jenny probably longer than Shane. So uh, Jen, you're, um, I normally sort of start off the conversation with, you know, where'd you come from and how'd you get into basketball? But uh, I guess a lot of people wouldn't have even heard of Collinsville. So, um, so where, what was life growing up there and, and how'd you get involved? Okay, well, I did grow up in Collinsville, which is a small town west of Bowen, as you know, um, and got into basketball because my mum and another man from Collinsville started Collinsville basketball because the only sport there was football, <laughs> and um, they didn't want my brother or us to play. Well, obviously, I was going to play football, so that's why we all started playing basketball, yeah. Yeah, and where did you, um, like, Move up to Townsville. I can't remember the details now. Well, I'll just I'll really quickly give you my little history. So, yeah, yeah. grew up in Collinsville, played state, played for North Queensland when yep. it was regional, made all state teams, bottom and top age. Yeah. When I when I left Collinsville, I moved to Brisbane, where Mark Rag he was the um, development coach for Queensland basketball. So. Scott Kroll, Robert Sibley and myself were on scholarship development players for the Lady Bullets and the Brisbane Bullets. Right. So I had a year in Brisbane, that was 1984, and then I was offered a scholarship at the AIS for 85 and 86. Right. Then basically followed Shane's MBL and um, I went to college in Melbourne and we didn't come back to Townsville. I really didn't live in Townsville until I came back with Shane when he came back he was contracted with the Townsville Suns in 1994, All right. 95. Yeah. 94, okay. five. So that's when I never lived in Townsville, even though I was here quite a bit, you know, yeah. training. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. So who was, um, who were some of your coaches when you were growing up? And, and I guess, cause you're, you're a coach in your own right. Um, who sort of, uh, influenced your, you know, philosophy on, on coaching and, and basketball as well. Okay. So as a junior, my first coach and my first rep coach was Norma Conley. Yeah. Um, and you know, she, she loved tall people. So even though I was from <laughs> Collinsville, I got, I got picked pretty early. Um, and she was amazing and still is. Um, and then I had Phil Nolan as a state coach. Mark Bragg was probably my most influential coach as a junior. Um, and he he gave me opportunities that probably I wouldn't have gotten if he wasn't in the role he was in up here when he was at the Burdekin for Basketball Queensland. Yeah. So that's how I went to Brisbane. And then that's how I also went to the ALS because of exposure there. Yeah. Um, and then as, you know, playing as a, a senior, probably the most influential coach 
was Tom Ma. Yeah. Um, who's an amazing, he's an amazing person, not just a coach, because he has like a real life philosophies and he's really inclusive and you really feel really powerful no matter what role you have in the team, whether it be the 10th player, the manager, whoever you are, he, that's what he cultivated in his teams, which is why he was so successful and he create, you know, he developed some really successful players. Yeah. So they're probably the ones who stand out. Brendan Flynn, Adrian Hurley, you know, so they were really important people too, but yeah, but probably Tom as a senior. Yeah, cool. So where did you play for Tom? I know uh, you won, I was going to mention you played WNBL and won four championships while you're in your playing career. But <laughs> So tell us about that well, I'll, journey. Well, I'll, I'll correct that because that's been, so in, I played <laughs> as a development player in 1984 for the Lady Bullets. So I yep. never really played. I never traveled. Oh, yeah. I played at the AIS in the WNBL team um, and the Siebel team. We mixed that up for those two years. Then when we went to Melbourne, I was actually going to play for Geelong, but Geelong folded that year. So it was just by chance that I'd played with Michelle Timms at a university ad the year before. She was at Albert Park. I was just there shooting with Shane. He had training. And she said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, Geelong's folded. I'm not really sure. I'm trying to find some teams. And she said, come play for us. I went, what? And so she contacted Tom. And Tom said, yeah, come and try out. And that's how that happened, just by chance. So that was 87, um, and we won the um, tournament, or we won the WNBL that year. Um, Then 1988, I actually had a year off. Um, You would probably remember this, but my sister um, committed suicide in 87. Yeah. I was was studying, um, just a lot of pressure. I just felt I couldn't. I couldn't do everything, so I had yeah. a year off from playing. And I still played like um, Seaball, like Box Hill. But this is how I'm at, this is what Tom said to me. He said, "Well, have a year off, and then the next year he said, if you don't want to play, come back. We need good people in the team." So I came back in '89 as a manager, even though I was still playing for Box Hill and still training. Yeah. And we won that year. Oh, good. So yeah, and then we moved when Shane had his contract going to Hobart, I moved to Hobart and I played for the Hobart Quit Islanders and we won that year, which was 1991. So I won two WNBL titles as a player and two as a manager. Oh, okay. So that, yeah, people say four titles, it's like, "Mm, yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, just, so, yeah, so um, 87 and 91 are the two I, I won as a player. Right, yeah, um, cool. And, and where did you yeah. uh, sort of turn the corner, I suppose, and, and get into refereeing? Because I know you you had a, a bit of a career as a ref in the WNBL as well. Yes, and, uh, well, I had, after I finished, I've had a knee reconstruction playing for Southern Districts. That was, I can't even remember the year. Um, then we decided to start a family, so we had four children. I came back and played A grade and coached and played A grade here in Townsville. And then after I had Sam, I went, you know what? I I can't afford to be injured with four children under four. So I stopped playing. But I really missed the physicality of just doing something. Yeah. So I just went down to Townsville for basketball and I said, oh, I'm just going to referee. And they're like, oh, okay. 
So they put me on. I did eight games on a first Saturday. Both my toenails fell off. It was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then basically I started refereeing. I really enjoyed it. I wanted to be like anything you do, well, anything I do, I want to be good at it. So, you know, by the next year I was refereeing state league, I was fast tracked into WNBL. So after three years of refereeing, I was fast tracked into WNBL. And then I was also, I did three years in the NBL. Um, so, yeah. So basically, just because I've had children, I wanted to be fitter and I didn't want to play anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you how you find that sort of transition from being a player and then into refereeing must have been um, different perspective? Yeah, totally different perspective. But I think if you're going to, if anyone's thinking about going into refereeing, you've got to go in wholeheartedly. Like anything, yeah. if you if you're going to do it, you do it. As I became a referee, and of course I still had a perspective as a coach and as a player, and I probably had more understanding and I probably had the ability to manage a game better than younger referees because I already had that maturity. Yeah. But I had to learn all the other things. So, um, yeah, I, I think I, it was good. I really enjoyed it. Um, and it was a challenge. And it was, you know, it was when I ref NBL, I, I just thought to myself, wow, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm on the court with a me- in a men's game. Like, yeah. who knew? <laughs> like, so yeah, it was a really, it was really good. Did you ever get to ref Shane? What Sam? Did you ever get to ref Shane? No, I, ne- I never got to ref Shane, unfortunately. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't handle the abuse. <laughs> I was going to say that would have been interesting. Yeah, no, we had lots of heated discussions after we talked about the game and different points of view, and yeah, it was all good. Like, yeah, it was a good. It was a good time. I did enjoy that time. But once I got out, I was out. And straight away, as soon as you're out, you're, it's like, uh, what you know, you're almost against referees again. It's a bizarre sort of psyche. <laughs> yeah. So you're yeah. coaching now up, up in Townsville? Uh, I think I saw no. a photo. No? No, I'm not coaching at all. I helped Alicia when Claudia was away. I helped Alicia oh, yeah. with her under I just helped out. So Alicia had someone there a little bit more senior for her first game. But, um, no, I haven't coached since 2017. I coached that state team. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I just – I was um, – that was four years of doing the state, the North State team and I just – I kind of got tired of fighting, fighting yeah. things that you have to fight. So um, – and I just went, you know what, I'm out. Yeah. taking too much energy to try to, you know, to get the right things to happen for players and people. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's probably one of the things that people don't appreciate is it's a uh, it's challenging and uh, at times it's difficult and and I think people, you know, don't sort of respect the fact that you're trying to sometimes pick the best team that you can um, with what you can see at the time and and it's it's a bit of a hard gig. Yeah, I think though, um, and I'm Shane, you know, taught me this, and I did this for all my state teams. You make sure you have a number of people selecting. You make sure you listen to different people. You try not to take in um, history or from what another coach has told you about someone. Yeah. And usually if you have yeah. enough camps, if you have enough eyes and you've got enough experience yourself, you will pick – the right team will pick itself. Yeah. You know, so I always felt pretty good about the teams that I picked and I coached. Um, could we have been better? Could we have done some things? But, of course, it's, you know, reflection – things can improve but um no it was all good 
Yeah, yeah, fair enough. So let's maybe we'll move over to Shane now. Obviously, like a uh, Victorian, and we don't hold that against you, mate. But um, Vic Metro Junior always kicked our butts in uh, juniors at nationals and things like that. But was was basketball always your thing when you were growing up? Yeah, it's uh, it's something that the you'd be. It's a strange start for me. My grandmother worked with grandmother Gaze in the canteen at Albert Park. All right. So she she dragged me down, and there'd be this ten year old kid shooting them. Caught one every day, nonstop. And I'm like, mate, what are you doing? There's chocolate frogs behind this counter. So, needless to say, uh, Andrew Gaze became the best shooter in the country, and I became the best chocolate connoisseur in the country. And. Uh, <laughs> It sort of went from there. Um, I played a little bit for a team called Auburn Tigers, which was a Melbourne second team. And that team was full of a Greek family and they all left and went back to Greece. And I went, well, this is a stupid game and I'm out of here. And I quit. I then moved um, to Fitzroy in the high rise flats. And, um, and a gentleman there by the name of Colin Cadee, who's Jason Cadee's uncle. Yeah. Um, saw me and he said, mate, I need you to come and start playing basketball because Grant Caddy, his son, played. And uh, all of a sudden, I had a couple of people looking after me and got me back into basketball, and that was at about under 15. Oh, yeah. And I played a little little bit of Aussie rules at the same time. And I was just about to give the basketball away to play football, and a coach that was uh, actually coaching the state team at the time. He said, no, no, come to tryout. I think you'll do all right. I was like, no, I'm going to go and play footy. He said, no, no, come to train. His name was Mark Landell. And uh, so I went to training and made that Victorian team that uh, went to Toowoomba. And I think it was there that we might have kicked your ass. Um, <laughs> and uh, that was it. It was basketball from then on. Yeah, right. So when you say footy, you're talking AFL, aren't you? Absolutely. AFL. Yeah. Oh, I figured that. Around, so, around the Collingwood area. Yeah, yeah. So um, when did you get the first sort of taste of what NBL looked like and, and how did that sort of pathway open up for you? Yeah, so I guess um, in the early days, I was very lucky and I go back to people that changed my life because um, I guess to make a long story short, my family was sex and drugs and rock and roll, Uh, a lot of violence, a lot of hard drugs, um, family members in and out of jail, uh, guns held to heads, knives thrown at you. So it was a pretty bad environment to grow up in. Mm. And uh, hence why I might have been a little bit aggressive at times. (laughs) Um, So Colin Cadee was virtually the first man to help me and, and start the saving of me. Yeah. And his offsider was a, a old janitor at our high school in Collingwood called Billy Budd. So Billy Budd was an old army man and uh, he had steel caps and he'd sit under the ring and kick you in the ass and say, jump higher. <laughs> um, but he drove the bus everywhere, he raised money. And Colin Cadee at the time was Barry Barnes' assistant. All right. At Nana Wadding. Yeah. So that was my first tie into NBL. So all of a sudden I had all these double letter names, Colin Cadee, Billy Budd, Barry Barnes. And I'm going, there's a bit strange stuff. But uh, they were all looking after me and pushing me. And Barry Barnes was the next part of saving me. And he really took me under his wing and pushed me into um, 
training with the NBL teams and Albert Park used to have NBL on the weekends and Division One on Wednesdays and pick up on Fridays. Um, you would go and play NBL players on the Wednesday night. You'd watch the NBL on the weekend and then you'd play pick up with no coaches and rules on Friday and ended up fights and arguments and if you won you held the court and if you didn't there's 50 people waiting and it's just an unbelievable environment to grow up in and uh people who started to care for me and changed my life yeah yeah so um that that was a real unique facility wasn't it all albert park i remember going there once after under 18s nationals and um i'd never seen anything like it like this sort of I think it was about 12 courts then, just tacked onto each other. Yeah. Seemed to go on forever. Yeah, nine courts. Yeah. Nine courts, phenomenal. And a bar in between that used to be the gazer's house, so Drew could shoot every day. And, uh, <laughs> no, it was, it was fantastic. It was – you were never short of a court to go and find and play. And, um, and uh, people – you know, I mean, I can remember walking in there as a kid and there was an old coach, American coach, who coached Cobra, Jay Bremner. Yeah. And he would be hiding in the shadows waiting for the first kid to walk in. And he goes, get over here, boy. We're going to work out. And he'd be like, right, get up there and stick it, stick it. You know, I'm going to jump it and dump that. And, and then you had Ian Stacker was a development officer. And, you know, guys like Bruce Palmer and, and uh, Barry Barnes and Colin Caddy, they're all in there. And they just, they generated so many players with knowledge and coaches afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just a real time of you know, great activity and, and people who were making probably, you know, obviously starting out in different capacities. I remember I talked to Bruce a few weeks ago for the podcast and when we put it out, but, you know, like I sort of forgotten that he came out here as a player and in the in the yeah. mid, late 70s and so he would have been pretty dynamic as a player, I would have thought. Yeah, very. He was, he was, him and Gorgian were great mates. Yeah. And they, that's how I'm pretty sure he got out here. But yeah. not only were they good players, their basketball brains were pretty good too. And, uh, and Bruce won't tell you too many of his comedy <laughs> stories, but he was a very funny man. He could be, he could be not nice sometimes, but he was a very funny man. And him and Al Westover would get up in the commentary box on Wednesday night games and they got drunker and drunker and funnier <laughs> and funnier. <laughs> And people went along. It was just entertainment value nonstop, you know. Good hoops, funny people, good environment. It was pretty good. Yeah, good stuff. So I was going to say, uh, you know, you're always known in your younger years being a tough sort of player. And yeah, like you said, you described, um, you know, the background, family background and that sort of thing. But like, how do you think as you, you've got on, like in moving into coaching, you know, like uh, how has that sort of translated for you in terms of teaching kids how to, how to be tough? Yeah, so I guess um, getting to the coaching was the bit that is um, – was unique at Nunna Wadding. And I think Jenny touched on it before with Tom Ma. you got Carry Graff, Michelle Timms. Uh, just so many people that came out of that program. You know, Saka, Alan Black, Brendan Joyce. Uh, but when we, when we were all in that program, they all, I can remember those guys having to coach down. Yeah. So even though they played NBL and WNBL, they had to coach younger teams. Yeah. And so by... Coaching younger teams, your knowledge grew as as a player and a coach, and, and we were all made to get put back. And um, 
and they had all the right tools. It's like I, I would love to be able to run a team now where players have to go and be a part of a junior team and coach because I think they learned so much from it. Yeah. And so that was the Nunawading philosophy back then. Um, they also had very good people. Uh, like, again, I had no money, so they had a person who was like, we called him the godfather, Theo Kotsubakides, and he, he basically funded me and looked after me. And uh, when I got to the Institute, that was the next stage of developing your basketball brain. Yeah. You know, great people there who helped. Uh, all these people that changed your life. So I had Patrick Hunt and Phil Smythe there. And they're yeah. teaching me. Phil Smythe gave me some of the best tips. I can remember having a game going, geez, I'm stinking and I suck. And he's like, <laughs> Shane, he goes, I want you to forget about the shots you're missing and the rebounds, he goes, I want you to go and lock that guy down and I don't want him to score. And and I did that. And I ended up with 20 points and holding the guy to two points. And he just taught me how to focus on other things. And yeah. they're all the little bits that you pinch off people. Yeah. And then coming back into the NBL with Barry Barnes and Brian Gorgian, and all of a sudden your mind's loaded with all this intelligence that these people have shared with you. And, um, then transferring that into coaching was just natural. Mm. And, and I've always found that coaching kids, it's my duty. And I think that comes from none of what in philosophy. It's my duty to make kids better because I had all of those people change my life. Like I was going to a bad place. There was no doubt. Yeah. And they changed my life. So I find it really hard when you've got kids and people keep asking for money to coach them. I'm like, if I've got the time, I'm going to try and do it as cheap or as free as possible, you know? And uh, yeah. yeah, it was easy to transfer. Yeah. Really so. easy. So let's talk about your uh, NBL days, um, playing for the, I'm thinking it's the Nunawading Spectres, isn't it? Like the info I've got here says Eastside Melbourne Spectres. It started as Nunawading Spectres. And then they decided to diversify, taking a bigger place than just Nunawading, and it became Eastside Melbourne Spectres. Ah, oh, right. Yep. And then down to Hobart, and then uh, up to Brizzy, and then finally up to Townsville with the Suns. So any sort of, um, you know, looking back at that career, a couple of different clubs, any sort of uh, recollections or things that, you know, like uh, helped you to sort of become the, the, the coach you are today? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I think the early days of Nunawading with Barry Barnes, uh, his, his passion and uh, even the way he controlled me because I was an angry ant. And uh, <laughs> he, he pulled me up one game and he was yelling and, <laughs> and he was in my face and people were like, wow, that's intimidating. But that's the sort of kid I was and he knew what I needed. And he absolutely put me in line and started developing me. And But as much as he would do that to me, he would turn around and supply my house with furniture and love me. And that guy's like a father. I see him today and I tell him, you know, thank you. I love you every day. Yeah. And he still had my kids there last week for dinner, my two daughters at his house for dinner. So yeah. um, he definitely uh, knew how to control the beast in me. <laughs> and he started to control the beast in me. Unfortunately, he left the year after and we got Brian Gorgian. And um, then Brian Gorgian became this super coach and he just entrusted all of us young guys and developed us phenomenally and probably was one of the best 
best development coaches I'd ever had. Him and Ian Stacker together at the time when they were at peace was uh, a beautiful thing because they just worked so well together. Yeah. yeah. And uh, really put in time that you'd never done before as an athlete. Yeah. Uh, from there, I went to Hobart, and that was mainly because um, Tom Ma had moved there. Oh, yeah. Tom Ma had oh, moved yeah. into the men's program, and he'd shown a lot of faith in um, myself and, and we discussed what role I would have and uh, so I followed him down there and again he only lasted a year and we got Kel Bruton and it was pretty turbulent time while Kel was there Americans in, Americans out and players going and I didn't quite enjoy that so from there I had the choice of the Brisbane Bullets and Perth Wildcats and it was basically two fantastic teammates of mine in Shane Hill and Andrew Blahoff and they're ringing each other and abusing, saying Shane's coming here and Shane's coming there. And I ended up in Brisbane. And part of the reasoning for that was because Jenny was a Queenslander and we wanted to head back towards her home. Yeah. Um, I had nothing to tie me to Melbourne. And did a couple of years in Brisbane and then up to Townsville. Yeah. Up to the sun. So you, you, you would have been up there with uh, Sachs, were you, with, uh, at Townsville? I started with Mark Bragg. Oh yeah, Braggy. Um, and and Dave Lindstrom, yeah. and then uh, Braggy, Braggy. After I did a few years with Braggy, and then he got sacked. Oh, sorry, before he got sacked, Braggy um, wanted to retire me as a player. And um, I can remember Derek Rucker and a couple of guys going, "Oh, we need Shane around," um, and Braggy offered me an assistant coaching role. Nice. Which I took. Um, I had a couple of club offers to go elsewhere, and I, I guess I was sick of moving around. Yeah. And then Braggy got fired, and Stacker came in. Oh, right. And uh, Stack, Stacks kept me on as assistant coach, and, and I guess I still would have been assistant coaching, but in the days, there just wasn't enough money. You had, to, you know, it was, you yeah. know, you might have made $50,000 to live on. And I went, geez, I love the game and I'm passionate. And uh, I moved off into the QAS, which was a bit more financial for me. Yeah, yeah. And and you did a fair few pretty good things up there too, didn't you? In your time with the QAS in terms of setting up programs and stuff like that? Yeah, and I think the development side of me really shone in that. Like, yeah. I, there's two jobs I've really loved. I loved working for the QAS, doing development of athletes, and working for the federal government for the Sports Commission, where I was yeah. in doing outback development in community. And I've really shone and loved those jobs. So, but with the QAS, I think what I changed the philosophy. We had a, a few people who liked to party hard when I took it over, uh, weren't dedicated as athletes. Yeah. And I just went, this is crazy. I don't understand this. So I probably moved them on as quickly as I could. And I actually started targeting 14 and 15-year-olds who a lot of people don't know they're too young. I said, these are, the, these are going to be the kids of the future. Yeah. And it was all of the, you know, you brought in the, Todd Blanchfields, Jeremy Hills, Mitch Norton's, Nadine Payne's, um, Jillian Hortons, and all these kids, you just went, these kids are skilled and talented. They just don't know how talented and skilled they are. So a bit of discipline, a bit of direction, a bit of, hey, this is how you get good, stuff yeah. I'd stolen from all those other coaches I'd, I'd, I'd known. And, you know, Queensland as a state, in two years, we got 11 AIS scholarships. Oh, wow. And again, that's that's probably one of the biggest intakes you've ever seen. But 
there was also strategy behind that because I was bringing the Pat Hunts, Marty Clarks up to Townsville <laughs> to come and work with these kids. Yeah. And then my top five or six kids, I would take money out of the budget and fly them to Canberra for a week to be under their noses. Yeah, yeah. Now, the minute they shut that QAS program down, we didn't get any more kids to the AIS from North Queensland anyway for the next six years. All right. Mm. So it was definitely a fantastic program. I had really good support coaches like Colin Donovan and Cairns and uh, uh, the people in Mackay who were fantastic. And it was a really good program. Yeah, yeah. Moving on, I think probably one of the things that you also have been probably more recently involved with is the the stuff that you're doing over there in Indonesia. Yeah, so Andrew Vlahoff and myself uh, do a lot of work in a league called the DBL. Uh, Mick Downer was one of the first to do that, so he brought me in. And Mick went off on his coaching ventures. But the DBL, I went over there for the first time, and uh, they were bringing in NBA guys. Um, we had white chocolate over there. We had <laughs> Kryptonite, the Dunk King, Horace Grant, all of those guys come to these things. And it was all, you know, the American rah-rah, pick and roll, pick and roll, do it, dunk it, pick it. And there was no real education. So they were great guys to see and be around. But we we put in a development program with a guy who owns the DBL, um, Azrael Anand. And it has gone gangbusters. It, uh, he really promotes it. built stadiums. He flies kids around. Uh, there's a, a million attendees. There's views. He televises their games. We, se- we select virtually their junior national teams and he sends them on tours to America. Uh, we're putting in coach education, referee education, and it's a high school competition. Mm. And they've got two major sponsorships of a million dollars from Honda motorcycles and another million off Honda motor cars because it's so successful. So Andrew Vlahoff's done a really good job at leading that. I support him and the guy who owns it's just going gangbusters with it. Yeah, yeah. So obviously still a lot of growth uh, over there in terms of what they're going to do and and getting people involved. Um, You're saying maybe a little bit of coach education stuff coming up there as well? Yeah, so, you know, we're getting them to – they don't have anything like coaching levels, um, anything like that. So we're going to put in some curriculums and levels just to help coaches have a a learning structure. Yeah. Um, You know, they're they're getting better. And you're starting to see people like Laurie Chiswick, for example, is now the coach of the women's national team there. All right, yeah. So all these young kids – we're starting to see the young kids we've had in the DBL over the last 10 years making the national team with Laurie Chiswick. So – it's really it's really going ahead. You'll see Indonesia get better and better because you're talking one of the biggest populations in the world. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they're, they're really taking the game on big time. So, yeah, it's, it's exciting to do something overseas and work with other kids. And, you know, I probably know about six or seven words, chapat, chapat, <laughs> bagus, and things like that, enough to get by and a bit of uh, body movement with your hands. And uh, it's they're just such lovely people and you ask them to do something, it's done in a second. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's um, like you say, it must be just a great opportunity, um, something completely different, probably a little bit out of your comfort zone, but, you know, great thing to be involved with. It's amazing. Like I said, you don't know the language, but you can still coach. Yeah, yeah. get a lot out of it. Yeah, good stuff. 
So I reckon uh, we might uh, talk about the kids now, the four Frolings. So Alicia and Keely, the twins, and then Harry and Sam. So I think everyone probably listening to the podcast would have would have heard the Froling name in in one competition or another. And and I guess for, for probably Jenny, you you and Shane, like uh, what you know. To where you're at now, you guys must just be, you know, supremely proud of the way the kids have gone and the way they've dealt with what's uh, come their way. Uh, you know, and now they're all sort of, you know, making great inroads into into professional careers. Yeah, well, of course we're proud of them, and um, yeah, a lot of hard work's gone into it. Um, and I look at it now, you know, they're all adults. You know, Sam turns twenty next week. Yeah. Um, they've gone, they all went to the RAS, they're all on scholarship there, which was really good. Yeah. I mean, the girls have had a few injuries that, which had set them back a little bit. Um, but, and they've all went to college, which, yeah, which hasn't, didn't really work out for any of them. I mean, Alicia did very well there and smashed every record, but, you know, hearing the stories now, what, what actually happened there is pretty, um, disappointing to say the least. Yeah. But as far as, um... You know, they're all they're all playing professional basketball in Australia. You know, in the NBL and the WNBL, they want to go further than that. They want to, yeah. you know, pl- I'm speaking for them, but I'm pretty sure their dreams are still <laughs> the same. They still want to, you know, play for Australia in a senior teams. They've all played in junior teams. Um, obviously, they'd like to play at the highest level they can, whatever that may be, um, and earn a living out of it and a good living if they can. So. Um, you know, they're all all on their little paths. They're all going, veering off here and there. Um, all have to jump different hurdles, few setbacks. Um, but, you know, they still all love the game, which is, um, you know, after hearing some things that happen, it's pretty amazing that they still love the game. But, um, yeah, it's all good. So yeah. really proud of them. Love watching them. The only problem with watching them on TV is that Shane yells at the TV and I have said to him, I have said to him that they, no one can hear you. And he's like, whatever. So, but, but we watched the Opals um, yesterday morning and he was yelling at them too. So oh, it's, right it's just, you know, if you don't play good defense, you get yelled at no matter who you are. I'm picturing a bit of uh, chicken wire in front of the TV, like that Blues Brothers movie, you know, with the, 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 the exactly. No, he would never ever damage his TV. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Good, good stuff. So yeah, I suppose um, it's one of the things that's going to happen. You know, like um, you mentioned about injuries, and 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 I've just sort of you know. I think uh, one of the girls had a torn ACL, and and Sam sat out for a little bit this year in the NBL season with a with an ankle injury. So, yeah. what sort of advice do you give the kids? You know, when that sort of thing comes along, uh, just in terms of, you know, probably keeping in mind the importance of a good regime, but then just keeping a big picture perspective on things as well. Well, I think, um, well, I think the kids who are educated at the AIS and have come through programs that the you know, the professional programs in Australia, we have really, really good medical people and medical support. Yeah. So the kids know more than we do now um, about how to look after themselves, how to, you know, rehab um, and doing all the right things. And they do that. So 
Um, it was probably more when they were in America that that was more of a worry because their system is not the same as ours medically. And that's what we really realised really quickly. And the reason that Keely came back, um, because the coach actually has the power on whether you play or not, not a doctor or not a physiotherapist, which is here, if the physio says to the player, you can't play. Yeah. The player's got to accept that. And they, they say to the coach, they can't play. The coach has to accept it. Whereas there it was, the trainer's too scared to say anything. You have to tell the coach you can't play. Mm. So it was a lot of pressure put on the players to play when they shouldn't have been playing. So I think for in Australia, especially if you've been through the, the AIS or the Centre of Excellence, as it's called now, you know, all that education is there. And even in our state programs now, um, and any of our national junior programs and any senior pro- it's all there, all that mm. information. So, I mean, yeah. And and to me, even though it's devastating when someone gets hurt, and I'm just going to touch wood right now, it, it is part of sport. And if you're playing at a high-level sport, it, it, you know, you can't be surprised if you have some setbacks. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's how I look at it now. Does it make it any easier when someone gets hurt? No, of course not, but... Um, you know, just being supported is what you need. And, yeah, so that's probably yeah. what I've got to say on that. Yeah. yeah. What do you reckon, Shane? Yeah, it's um, probably the thing we say to them is do all the right things, eat right, do everything the doctors are taking. If you don't like the advice of the doctor, get a second opinion. Yeah. Go and get someone who is not like I've got a horror story up here. When Alicia had a, a toe, the, a doctor said to me here he wanted to take a knuckle out, remove a whole piece of bone. This is when she was about 13. Oh, <laughs> and I was wow. like, um, yeah, I don't know if we want to do that. So I rang the AIS. I said, I don't care what it takes. I'm flying you her down. And they said, no, well, Pete Stanton's now in Brisbane. So I sent her to him in Brisbane. and He was an AIS physio. And he went, no, what we've got to do is this, this and that. And that'll fix it. And within a month, she was good. Right. So, you know, if you don't like the advice, go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> and then do opinion. all the right things in recovery. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, with, I guess, you know, the kids are all at, I guess, different stages at the start of their careers. I guess what's going to be the thing that determines where they go and what they'll do? Like, do they sort of talk to you guys and about their plans and that sort of thing? I'm, I'm assuming they do, but, like, uh, I don't know that I know any other family <laughs> where, where I know four kids that are playing at such a high level. Yeah, it's um, each of the kids is different. Um, so some are more confident than others. Um, some have quicker plans, some have slower plans. So we just talk to each one of them on what they think. Yeah. Um, and it's good for them to have high goals. You know, like their goal might be NBA or WNBA or Europe or whatever. And and, and I guess that's the thing with us at home. Well, with me, tragically, I said, well, if you're going to play basketball, I'm going to teach you right. Yeah. And if you accept it on that court, it's going to be 100%. But that's been no different to any other kid I've coached. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've had parents tell me when I'm coaching kids, gosh, you're treating them like they're elite players, they're NBL. Or they're, I go, because that's where I want to send them. Mm. I want to send them to the top. And then, you know, when I first started, people were like, oh, we're a bit worried about the way you push them. And, and, and you know what? It's been nothing successful, and I get people knocking on my door every day. Will you please coach our kids? So, 
the difference with our kids is I could be a bit more direct with them and there was more tears and stuff because there was no parent to say, hey, stop what you're doing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would never, ever belittle. I always say, if you're doing something wrong, say, that's not right. I would never call any kids, my own or anyone else, you know, you're not doing that right, you fool, you idiot, you stupid. I would never go down that level. Yeah. I would explain why they're not doing it, put my arm around them, show them, and then demand excellence. And so they've all had that. Um, they still get that, hence me yelling at the television. They don't hear it. <laughs> why didn't you, why, you know? What did you think of my game? You know, oh, well, I thought you were standing at the three and not attending the boards or, you know, I thought your, your foul shots were rushed or, you know, I thought defensively you didn't get here. So they all ask for opinions. Yeah. Um, I, I, guess, yeah. I guess for where they're going to go in their careers, we really have no control over that except if they ask for advice, we'll give it. Yeah. Um, you know, the girls, well, Alicia has a degree – Keely's in her fourth year of physio and, you know, the boys went two years of college and didn't do any more. They're playing professional basketball because the men can earn decent money now. Yeah. The women can't. So, um, you know, the, my advice is, you know, you've got to plan for the future. Uh, you know, the girls are going to be all right because they're going to have good jobs after they finish playing basketball. The boys, I hope they're going to be smart with their money if they can make good money. And that's the advice we give, you know. Um, And the other thing is, you know, you get a lot of people going, the social media side of things is horrible today. You get so many trolls and people going after them. And, and, you know, oh, you know, Harry, you're not going to be NBA. And, oh, Sam, he's kidding himself. And and you just go, you know what? We don't, as parents, we don't care what level you play. If you make the NBA, that's a bonus. If you make WNBA, that's a bonus. If you play NBL, that's a bonus. If you go to Europe, what we care about is you're playing the game that's been great to all of us, taking us around the world. You're making friends. And if you get paid, that's a bonus. Yeah, yeah. And the game has been so good to everyone we know and our family that, hey, you know, go and be as good as you can be and where you end up is where you end up. Yeah. And I think probably one of the things, you know, the kids have experienced for themselves now, like you mentioned, Shane, about sort of traveling the world and, and being with people who are on the same page. But, you know, just the, the amount of international experience that they've already got as far as like, uh, you know, national youth teams, but also it, like three-on-three comps and things like that. They're yeah. getting a, a good taste of, you know, it's not just the same thing. It's a bit of, bit of everything. Well, I remember a phone call with Alicia. She was in um, Prague uh, with an Australian team. And she said, oh, Dad, we're here at this building and there's all bullet holes in the walls from World War II. And, and I go, you know what? I did that same thing with Pat Hunt in the 80s. And you don't learn that stuff in school. So you're there with teammates. You're playing international competition. Your game's getting better, and you're educating yourself about the world. So it's pretty special. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's um, it, it, yeah, it's just one of the uh, I guess benefits of playing hard. And like for kids that might be listening to the podcast, you know, playing hard and having goals. Are the kids are your kids like the sort of kids who plan ahead? Like do they they got a five year plan or anything like that, or are they more just take it year by year and see what happens? 
I think when they were younger, when they first were, you know, made Australian junior teams and that, I know I saw on the back of a couple of doors some post-it notes with dates. They never actually said, I want to do this and this, but I did see, you know, obviously feedback from the Australian camps, what they had to do. Um, Sam's probably been the most quiet. He doesn't really divulge a whole lot. The girls both were pretty, you know, they wanted it. They wanted it all. Harry's always been out there, you know, he had no, he has no plan B. He's just going as high as he can go. Um, and he's very open about that. Um, so they probably did set goals. They never, I never asked about them. He might have seen a diary or some notes around. But yeah, but you know what they wanted to do. I mean, you don't train that hard. You don't, you know, don't go to parties. You don't, the kids just did basketball basically. And they, mm-hmm. you know, Harry, I think even said that a few years ago when he was, came in to talk to a younger state team saying, you know, you don't, the sacrifice you do make is because you love the game. But he said, you know, I, at high school, I never, I never ever went to a gathering, you know, that all the high schools go to, to, to go and, you know, have a few drinks and that. And he said, I never went to one because I always had training, yeah. you know, or I had something on. Um, so, but it's because, you know, it's because that's what you want to do. And the girls are probably more planned now. So, you know, they're very smart. So they, you know, Keely's done full-time university, part-time job, and full-time basketball. And, and the she's three on three, yeah. And the three on three, yeah. So, you know, she has to be very planned. Yeah, yeah. So, Got to yeah. be more very organized. Good. It's probably one of the yeah. things, too, just thinking about who, who you know, parents uh, might be in a similar situation to you guys. Like, I've got some talented kids and whatever, but what sort of uh, advice you can give the parents, too? Because, you know, like, I guess... Um, every parent wants the best for their kids and, and um, wants to see them be successful. But is there any tips or things you guys have learned over the years that you think maybe might be worth sharing? I'll, I'll probably start my one because it won't be too long. Um, it's, it's, for me, it's put the time into your kids. Yeah. Um, it gets harder, harder and harder with the cost. Um, but I just found any time the kids ask me, Dad, can we go and shoot? Dad, can we go and work out? I would go and do it. Yeah. Whatever time, if it was morning, night, afternoon, if the court's cost, go and find an outdoor court, whatever it is, put the time into the kids. If you can afford it, get the people to do it. And it cost us a fortune to put yeah. four through, kids through state comps, national comps, travel away, camp. And you know what? The money was worth every bloody cent, even though I fought and begged and scratched to get it down. Um, it was worth every cent to watch these kids enjoying the game like they are today. And the benefits are not only what we've put in, but all their other coaches in the past have put into them. So yeah. put your time into your kids. Yeah. yeah. What do you reckon, Jen? Um, yeah, I think where our situation is quite unique, though, because we're both, we both coach. Um, and both know the game. So obviously our kids were, and know the game well. So I guess advice for parents is, like Shane said, give them the opportunity. If there's opportunities come forward for them, do everything you can to let them have it. Um, I'm not really sure what else. I guess um, I had an idea before, but it's gone. Hold if, on. If, yeah. One thing, one thing I really have a compassion for is kids who don't have the opportunity. Yeah. Like if I had a kid turn up to me and I'm, I had to do a, a session 
um, where it costs 20 bucks, say, to come into it. I, can, I can't tell you how many times the parents say, oh, we can't afford it. Send your kid anyway. Yeah. I'm not, you know, don't worry about the, we'll find a way around it. Um, how many kids do we miss that don't have the money? So yeah. if you are a person who struggles to have the money, go and knock on doors. Go and find someone who will put the time into your kids if that's what they want to do. Because the people are out there. People are out there that'll do it. Yeah. yeah. It's harder, I guess, volunteering. Yeah. You know, people are time poor. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I think, um, yeah, that makes it a little bit harder. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think of it, I'll come back to Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no drama. Yeah. So yeah. I guess, um, uh, you know, like probably not, not too distant into the future, like you might be seeing the kids playing with the Boomers and the Opals. So um, what do you think when, well, probably should should say when rather than if, when the, that opportunity comes up, like that'll be a pretty proud moment for you guys as well, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, playing Australian junior teams makes you proud. Watching them play professional basketball makes you proud. So if they if they go to the highest level in Australian basketball and make the senior um, boomers or opals, of course that would be amazing. You know, if Keely's three on three qualifies um, for for Olympics, you know she she might get to an Olympics this year. Yeah, um, avenue. Yeah. If they, you know, via another avenue, which is going to be amazing. Um, so, yeah, of course it makes us proud. And three on three's improved her game immensely. Yeah. 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 In what way, yeah. Shank? Is like I know some people just sort of see as three on three as a little bit of a social thing, or you know, a bit of a preseason thing, maybe. But what have you seen there in terms of just the development? Yeah. Look, um, three on three is almost a bit like it, the old pickup. Yeah. They, they don't call fouls. Um, you've got more room to operate. You've got to be more aggressive. Um, you've got to be able to defend your own yeah. player. You can't. There's no help. And when you get knocked down, you, those plastic cords shred your knees. So you got to be tough. And Healy's come out of that so much more tougher. And uh, so and aggressive. If it's at that high level, absolutely. Um, you know, there's better spacing on the floor. There's yeah. no, you know, there's always a scenario you can get someone open for a basket because if the defense is in the wrong spot, which you can set up in certain plays, you're, you're going to have benefits to score. So. Um, no, it's been really, really good for her. And, and, you know, as for each of the kids making it to the boomers or the opals, again, my, my philosophy on things is if, if you can look yourself in the eye in the mirror and say, you know what, I tried my best and I get there, yeah. great. If you can look in the mirror and you didn't get there and say, hey, I tried my best, then that's just as good. Yeah. So hopefully they do. We're in a golden era of uh, basketball, especially for men. You know, when have we had 12 and 13 players in the NBA? Mm. Um, uh, that makes the Boomers team look sensational. Yeah. But much as Andre Lamar stand out, it's very hard because you've got to pick a balance. How do you get them all right? How do you get them wrong? Who's going to play together? You have no preparation. Um, you know, it's it's it's... A blessing and a and a uh, a curse at the same time. So, you know, it's 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 still there in the future for them. You know, you watch the the great families like the Bearstows and that um, that have come through with their kids, and you're yeah. proud to have been yeah. involved with a couple of them and and what they do as a family. And and you got young kids like Magnolia that coming through now. It's yeah. uh, it's golden era, so it won't be easy. But hopefully, they all 
um, get a cracker playing for the for Australia because that's what they all want. You talk about NBA and everything. Every single one of them kids goes, I want to represent the country. Yeah. And that's a great thing to, to be able to say. Yeah, for sure. I guess uh, finals coming up now in WNBL. I think Keeley's um, suiting up as chief of Canberra. Yep, yep. So, She's, um, that's next weekend, next Sunday. They play the semifinal um, against uh, Adelaide. Yeah. No, Melbourne. No. Southside, Melbourne. Southside, sorry. Oh, yeah, okay. So, um, <clears throat> Melbourne Boomers. Jenny's uh, <laughs> actually meaning to say Melbourne Boomers. <laughs> oh, There's only four, you've guessed three, so it's oh. Melbourne Boomers. Oh, are they playing the second playing fours, are they? I thought first and second. Oh, anyway. Kelly's playing next. Sunday, yeah. Yeah, good stuff. So, uh, any, any any thoughts on getting down there to watch, or you're just going to get on the TV and 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 provide support well, over the phone? Well, but, well, I said to Kim, I've actually been invited to go down, but I um I can't because I can't really take Monday off work. Ah. Uh, um. So, yeah. So I said to Kelly, if they make the grand final, hopefully I'll be able to get down then. Yeah, good um, stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, I won't be. Uh, I'll be watching on TV. I've got the 65 <laughs> inch that I can yell at. <laughs> <laughs> you just need to find something that'll yell back at him, Jenny. That'd make for good viewing. Yeah. That's, uh, no, it's just very annoying. It's like. <laughs> There's a television downstairs if she really wants to watch it in private. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not alone. I think I, I do that from time to time too, but, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things, isn't it? You. You never stop getting passionate about what you a game that you like. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> well, uh, Jenny and Shane, I just want to say thanks for making some time to be on the podcast today. Um, great having a chat. Like um, I, I sort of thought this would be uh, a good opportunity to to catch up with both of you and and just also you know talk about the the kids and and the and the success that they're having in their own right, um, following their own pathway. So, been great to have a chat and wishing you guys you know. Uh, the best uh, for what you're up to there in Townsville for the rest of 2020 as well. Okay, thanks very much, Anthony. Good Thank you. All right, no worries. Take care, eh? Okay. Yeah. All right, Bye. see you, mate. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. You can get in touch with me through my email at australianbasketballcoach at gmail.com. That's australianbasketballcoach, all one word, lowercase, at gmail.com. Also, follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at Coach and also on Facebook with Australian Basketball Coach. So uh, looking forward to hearing from you, and thanks again for listening. 